Did the rights of the Freedom Convoy of Truckers in 2022 come at the expense of the safety, health and welfare of ordinary Ottawa citizens? Was the Trudeau government use of the Emergencies Act a regrettably last resort when the cops and the courts wouldn't or couldn't respond to citizens in need of help? What strategies are available in a free country when you see the ability to protect your health coming at the expense of your career and livelihood? Was the fear and terror of the trucker convoy created by them or instigated by horrific lies in the mainstream media? This week on the Global Research News Hour, we mark the two-year anniversary of the arrival of the Canadian Freedom Convoy of Truckers into Ottawa by speaking to two people with opposing viewpoints on the way the convoy was treated by federal government officials and on the recent ruling by Judge Mosley that the Emergencies Act violated their rights under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Our guests are Brenda Knight of the Centertown Community Health Centre and co-chair of the Ottawa People's Committee on the Trucker Occupation and Kristen Nagel, one of the named plaintiffs in the federal court examining the charter rights of the trucker convoy supporters. On this week's program, Freedom Convoy 2022. Was the Emergencies Act justifiable? Was media accurate? Two perspectives. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of February 2nd, 2024. The program is funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. I'm your host, Michael Welch. The show seeks to provide listeners with access to analysis of some of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our shows are featured on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. We acknowledge that this program was produced on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Oji, Cree, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. In the spirit of respect and reconciliation, descendants of the settlers should acknowledge the background of their advantages today and try to turn the tables by discontinuing colonial practices and paying reparations for past misdeeds. Now it's time for News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Listeners should know that some of the articles may run against common messaging about sensitive subjects and are not all endorsed by this radio station. Thousands of Israeli ministers, rabbis, public figures and parliament members attended a conference on Sunday in Jerusalem calling for the resettlement of Gaza and making statements widely deemed to be genocidal. The event, entitled Conference for the Victory of Israel, Settlement Brings Security, returning to the Gaza Strip and northern Samaria, was centered around rebuilding Israeli settlements in Gaza and calling for Palestinians to be expelled from the besieged enclave. Participants presented details of proposed future settlements, maps, stages of preparation, and called for decision-makers to back resettlement plans. The conference came just days after the International Court of Justice ruling on South Africa's genocide case against Israel, for which it heard evidence earlier this month. The court gave Israel six orders regarding the siege and bombardment 
of Gaza. That comes from the article, War on Gaza, Here's What Israeli Officials Say Should Happen to the Palestinian Enclave. Posted January 31st, originally published on Middle East Eye. Pentagon procurement contracts show that the U.S. is planning to station B-6112 nuclear warheads at RAF Lackenheath, a base in Suffolk, England. The U.S. pulled its nuclear weapons out of the U.K. in 2008, and its decision to redeploy them demonstrates the low state of U.S.-Russia relations. According to the Telegraph, Russia said a U.S. deployment of nukes to the U.K. would be an, quote, escalation, unquote, that would require, quote, compensating countermeasures, unquote. The U.S. already has nukes stationed in Germany, Belgium, Italy, Turkey, and the Netherlands as part of NATO's nuclear sharing program. Last year, Russia announced it was deploying nuclear weapons to Belarus amid tensions over the proxy war in Ukraine. That comes from the article, U.S. to deploy nukes in the U.K. for the first time in 15 years. By Dave DeCamp, posted January 31st, originally published on antiwar.com. On Friday, Western news agencies reported that the UN's humanitarian agency, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, or UNRWA, may have employed militants who were involved in the October 7th attacks on Israel. The claims, which remained sketchy and unverified, were made on the same day that the International Court of Justice delivered its historic genocide ruling against the Jewish state. While it is possible that Israeli investigators uncovered new intelligence on Hamas' attack, it's more likely that the announcement was perfectly timed to divert attention from the ICJ's ruling. Not surprisingly, the United States and its allies, including Australia, Canada, the United Kingdom, Italy, Germany, Switzerland, Finland, and the Netherlands, have all accepted Israel's dubious allegations and announced that they will temporarily suspend funding for the UN agency. The speed at which these countries joined Israel in condemning the UNRWA strongly suggests that they were tipped off and told what to do prior to the announcement. That comes from the article, U.S.-Israel Implement Plan to Cut Food, Water, and Medicine to Gaza, by Mike Whitney, posted January 31st, originally published on the UNS Review. In June, the Mexican army announced it had seized a dozen rocket launchers, 56 grenade launchers, and 221 fully automatic machine guns since 2018. The influx of military-grade U.S. weaponry entering Mexico comes as the Biden administration fails to secure the southern border as millions of illegals flood into the U.S. But what's rarely discussed in what seems like an Obama-era Operation Fast and Furious scandal are weapons flooding Mexico from the U.S. Last week, at the SHOT show in Las Vegas, a Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, or ATF, agent from a field office in southern Texas revealed to us that the agency is very concerned about a flood of 50 cal rifles and belt-fed machine guns that are illegally entering Mexico from the U.S. 
the cross-border firearms trafficking of military-grade U.S. weaponry on the southern border is very concerning. That comes from the article, Another Fast and Furious Scandal? Mexico demands answers as cartels acquire U.S. military-grade weapons. Posted January 31st, originally published on Zero Hedge. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. convoy was highly unpopular with some Ottawa folk, including Brenda Knight. She's a board member of the Centertown Community Health Centre and co-chair of a committee called the Ottawa People's Committee on the Convoy Occupation. I asked her to give a brief account of what she saw and experienced during those days. Um, well, I, I, I wouldn't wish it to happen to anyone. I, I, you know what? Every situation that's a negative, you have to look at the positive. The positive of this um, convoy was that we all turned to each other to help. We really saw initiatives in the community, whether it be seniors, like checking in on the seniors, are you okay? Um, you know, helping people um, in need. Uh, do you need anything delivered? Do you need to be driven out of this core? So that's the positive. The negative is uh, we still have people that are still traumatized by this. Why? A noise, all right? Um, to this day, when we hear those horns of trucks going by, we all freeze. The other thing that I think is very interesting is, um, you know, on Canada Day, all the a lot of people up here used to put out their flags, you know, to celebrate the day. You know what? The last two Canada Days, people haven't put out their flags because when they see the flags and people wearing them, it reminds them of the convoy. And, you know, that just goes to show that, you know, yes, the convoy may be over, but we're still feeling the pain. The noise, the fumes, the fact that you couldn't leave your home, people couldn't get to work, people couldn't get in. We have people in here, at least three in my building that have, um, that need oxygen delivered. This was a big problem, so people had to leave. All of these types of things, PSWs, personal service workers, they couldn't get in to work with their clients. So, you know, everybody says everything was fine, but for the people that live in Centertown, it was not fine. It was not fine. You know, people had to walk from Hull across the bridge into work because there was no buses. You know, it's fine to say, oh dear, but you know, who can do without um, salary for three weeks, you know? So these are the types of, of things that were problems. Local businesses hurt badly. This was, you know, part of COVID. It was already going through a bad situation and things just got worse. So these are just a few examples of, of what happened. And um, with many people, it's still there. Did you have uh, an actual encounter with uh, the truckers or, or the people in their midst uh, at any point? Because, I mean, you say people are, 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 did not feel safe. I mean, what, what's this springing from? What happened is people, for example, that went out to walk their dogs, all right? Or some people went out just to try and talk and say, okay, uh, what's the problem? Why are you here? And um, it, it, sometimes it was okay. 
I mean, I can sit and tell you of a lady who the truckers bought her a coffee and talked to her. So there's no way I'm going to say and paint everybody with the same brush. All right. Others, no way. Okay. I know people that went to local stores and they were just yelled at and they turned around and came home. And, you know, it's really hard to look out and see fires right outside your home. <laughs> and it, it, it was just, we were totally, we thought our building could burn because they were, you know, they were chopping wood right in front of us, building these fires, throwing oil on them and all the rest of that right outside your home. So it scared the dickens out of us. So there's no way I'm going to say that every trucker that you spoke to was negative because that is not the case. But unfortunately, there were too many that were. <laughs> okay. Mm. Were too many that were. Okay. Because if you cared for somebody, you would have not have put them through that turmoil. OPC hosted about 200 people and organizations. Could you give our, our audience a brief description of the OPC's process by which you assembled the people, listened to them and assessed and then reported on the experiences of people in your area? We um, did not sort of go out and, and choose, okay? We basically um, sent out all, we had notices and papers and, you know, social media, the news, because, you know, I had quite a lot of interviews going on during that whole uh, convoy mess. So um, basically, if you came up and said that, you know, you wanted to be part of our, our, our meetings, yes. I, I, you know, we didn't, I, I can't recall, I mean, you know, us, you know, uh, refusing a whole bunch. Um, so it was very important that we listen to everybody. Now, there was different ways, Michael, of giving information. It could be there in person. A lot of people wrote uh, the pictures that, you know, if you go on our, our site, you'll see the, those pictures came from just people in the neighborhood walking or from their balconies and all the rest of that. So we, it was very, very important that not only did we just have the people that were, you know, really um, traumatized by the convoy, but we also did interview people who supported the convoy because it was very important to us that we represent everybody. There's no way from the beginning we took a side. You know, we might have had an opinion, but we made sure that everybody had the opportunity to speak and share their opinion. So could you just give me just like a, a rough estimate of, of how much of your testimonies were in favor of the convoy and how much was against it? Um, I would say the majority was um, against, it's hard to say it was against the convoy, okay? Um, I'm a union person. I fought for rights. I've done all kinds of things. I've done, I've done more protests up on that hill, okay? Uh, than many people. So the issue is wasn't that. The issue was, and you know, this is where we're struggling with the decisions of the judges. The issue was, okay, the rights of everybody to speak and say their piece, nobody's going to disagree with. It's the impact that it has on others. Is that was the issue. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you can't sleep, when you can't breathe, when you have to take your children out of the home, when you have to leave the home because you can't get your PSW work, when you can't get food delivered, like, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And then what made it worse was nobody was there to help us. 
And I, you know, I think that was the other thing that there was nobody. And we did have people that went out, um, you know, to talk to, to the, the truckers and stuff like that. And yeah, sometimes there were some arguments that happened. I can give you quite a list of people that, you know, had to go to the grocery store and, um, you know, trucks almost ran them over. And that was on purpose. That wasn't the big trucks. Those were just like, they were pickup trucks, but it's still a vehicle. So there are a lot of, lot of problems. You know, we know somebody that was in a wheelchair, he gave a testimony and I think his is online. And, uh, you know, people sort of shoved him out of the way. So we have a lot of really horrible stories that, um, you know, came from people and there was witnesses too. Okay. Uh, can you just give me a, a really short sample of maybe some of the highlights that you heard at the uh, at the OPC, uh, you know, the commission hearings, some of the testimonies that, that struck you in particular regarding the, the treatment of people? Um, I think um, that the, it was, uh, some of the hate, some of the hate was 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 the tough one. Uh, seeing the Confederate flag, seeing the Nazi flag. Uh, people of color walking by and really badly uh, spoken about. Um, those were the things that really brought out a lot of um, a lot of feeling. And you know, uh, this is Canada, man, and uh, you know we should be able to walk the streets safely and not have those types of things happen. A lot of the the people felt great great relief that they these these truckers were coming to their rescue they brought their kids uh, there they were punchy castles there was food provided it was a clean area and the folks they they claim were really friendly and nice and warm but uh, how do you make sense of these uh i guess differing perspectives that uh, they one group of people feel they're hated on and next being like this is the best thing that ever happened it's not perspective it's not perspective at all perspective. there's people that got hurt there's people that were, you know, uh, insulted. There's people that were terrified. So that's not a perspective, okay? You have your right to speak. Nobody is challenging that, but you speak and you respect each other. And that's where so many people in this community just felt, okay, why aren't we being listened to? You know, it, 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 you know, I'm sure you, I don't know if you have a family, I don't want to be, you know, a personal thing, but you know, if you're having a family discussion at Thanksgiving dinner, okay, there's going to be disagreements, but I'm sure everybody in your family would respect each other. Well, guess what? We're all Canadian citizens. So why weren't we due to have respect from these people that in my words came and invaded our community? Nobody asked them to come. They came and weren't invited. And unfortunately, they went too far. We have had, and this is one thing that everybody needs to remember. When you live in downtown, and I'm not, I don't want to speak about myself, but I'm really close to Wellington. We have protests every weekend, every weekend. And we live with it. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. Sure, it blocks off traffic. Sure, there's a bit of noise. But you know what? Often we'll go down and say, oh, what are you going with? And we'll follow them and we'll be part of the process. Didn't happen with this one. Mm. Okay. So, you know, we're not talking people that don't go through this on an extremely regular basis. The people that live in Centertown, because we're so close to the hill, 
we have it every, especially during the summer. Okay, so it isn't like we're not trained on how to deal with this. What do you make of the role of the media in this situation? A lot of the people in in the the convoy were saying that they're that that they were misrepresenting the situation, and uh, I mean, was was it off in that way, or or maybe was? Do you think they did well, and maybe they're misrepresenting the situation in other ways? What what do you think? Well, I know we had discussions with media, so it's it's again. I guess there's two sides to a story. We have media people that had. Somebody, I think, got a beer thrown at them. Other people were spit on, all of these things, okay? There's always, you know, one side, the other side, and what happened, okay? But um, I spoke to a lot of media on this, and uh, I did not hear um, that everybody was a problem. Some people are, but, you know, I didn't hear that from a whole lot. And I don't think that people misrepresented what was said and 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 what happened. Because, I mean, then the same thing could have happened to us. There was a lot of uh, criticism about the, the vaccines and the vaccine mandates among the people in the community. I mean, did you find that there were very uh, there were tensions along those lines? No, like no, no. Listen, I have family that doesn't believe in the vaccine. OK, there's all kinds of people living through here that don't believe in the vaccine. And with all due respect, that wasn't how it started. Uh, if I remember correctly, there was a whole document and uh, what was it, Trudeau and whatever is supposed to be kicked out. And there was a whole group that was going to reach out to the uh, governor general and run the country. OK, so let's not forget about that. Vaccine was not the issue that the issue of the fight, because we've got people living here who definitely feel it's their right to say no. So on that, there was agreement. And if anybody went outside and that was the discussion, and I know people had that discussion with some of the people and it was fine. Hmm. Okay. So there's no way that everybody up here agrees with, you know, the vaccine mandate. Well, I mean, I mean, is it the, the fact of the matter is that, I mean, people who are civil servants, if, if they, uh, at least at, at the time, I mean, if you didn't get the vaccine, you could lose your job. If you're a nurse or a doctor or something and you didn't get the vaccine, you'd lose your job. And that's that seems like overkill. You know, I mean, I did, but that's a personal opinion. OK, if I'm sorry, I have I'm immune compromised. I don't see my own. Kids, if they're not back, if they, they don't have the vaccine. All right. So, again, there's always three sides. You know, do we care about our fellow, you know, man or woman and want to protect everybody? I mean, everybody, if they're going to go to school, they have to get the measles vaccine. They have to get the small facts vaccine or the kids can't go to school. What's the difference? All right. It's not like we've not been through vaccines before. All right. And on this one, we didn't know all of the results. And look at the tens of the thousands of people that died that perhaps if other people had had the vaccine, we would have had far less spread. So again, it's about respect. And what I think our people in our community were upset about is that we were just pushed aside by everybody and we weren't respected. Okay. Now, I just to, to talk about, you're, you're talking about like actual violence against the people. But uh, I guess they couldn't report it, right? They, they or, or what? What was the? I mean, if you have somebody on files something with the police, 
then they they were obliged to respond, are they not? Well, there was a lot of problems with that because the police were up on the hill. The police weren't down here where people are living. And that was the other big fear thing. All the police were up on the hill or on Wellington, all right? Yet the truckers were from Wellington way far south. So it was like having a whole area for all of that time. And there weren't police to help when people were going through troubled problems. So yes, we do have people that, you know, cars whipped by them, nudge them, somebody had to pull somebody away. It's all it's all in the reports, okay? And there weren't police around. So then how do you feel protected? I have a very good relationship with our Centertown police, okay, because of my community association involvement. I mean, you couldn't reach them because they were up on the hill. So all the rest of, you know, the wards, and it's not just, you know, here, you know, I'm Centertown, but we're talking Sandy Hill, we're talking Lower Town, we're talking Overbrook, we're talking Vanier. I mean, it's a huge area that was impacted by this. When the Emergencies Act was invoked, is there anything that you could say about, uh, you know, you know, the people being arrested, trampled, their bank accounts frozen in some cases. I mean, you know, that that it, that seems it, that may have been overkill in, in at least, you know, according to a lot of people. Was that justified in your view? Well, was it justified that people couldn't breathe and people had to leave their home and people couldn't get the oxygen they needed to live and people had to leave because their kids were crying 24 hours a day? and people who didn't see their dogs or cats because they went under their beds and were terrified. Again, it's called rights and respect. And everybody in this country should be respected and should be entitled to their basic rights. And the feeling of our People's Commission was our rights were violated. The federal court ruled that the Liberal government broke the charter rights of the people by invoking the Emergencies Act. It okay. is, after all, it's a major lever that they're pulling. And it's been stated that it, it was overreached on, on the part of the federal government. I mean, they, they, they managed to resolve the Windsor blockup without invoking the Emergencies Act and the, the Alberta uh, blockade without invoking the, uh, the uh, Emergencies Act. Uh, well, the truckers and their supporters naturally saw this as a major victory for them. How did you and your friends in Ottawa Gatineau see this ruling? Um, we weren't pleased with the ruling. And once again, I'm going to talk back to respect. If you remember, there was a, I'm going to say the wrong word, darn it. But anyhow, there was a ruling that the truckers had to stop blowing the horns. It didn't happen. Okay, were any of them fined? Were any of them whatever? I don't know. So yes, indeed, that was a very severe thing to happen, but people were at their end and that's what is not being listened to and not being heard. We have had people that were crying and in panic. And, you know, uh, we've this, this particular area, we've got the second highest amount of seniors up here. And, you know, <laughs> Their kids couldn't even get in to come and take their parents out. 
So these are the, the you know, there's a personal level and then there's the, the, the issue of rights that people felt they were entitled to. I don't know which one's stronger. I guess, you know, and we've got two judges, okay? Because Rouleau said, oh gosh, that was fine. And now Mosey says, no, it's not. They're both judges. So I don't know who's right and who's wrong. Okay. Uh, well, we're, we're just about the end of the time. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we close two years later about the overall experience and, and how it affected your life and your work moving forward? Um, I think, um, you know, what we've got to do uh, moving forward is just make sure that it doesn't happen again. All right. So when you have a group of people and I, look at, I'm going to respect that there was a lot of people that said they weren't being heard. And that was a lot of what the truckers were saying. They weren't being heard. Well, then I would hope we learn from this. Whenever you go through, you know, horrible things, you want to make sure they don't happen again. You wouldn't know it by what's going on in this world in 2024. But let's think as Canadians, we can get this right. Again, we need to listen to the people that felt they weren't being heard about, you know, their rights to fight the vaccine and whatever. But then you also need to listen to the, you know, the rights of the people that were negatively affected and are still in trouble with what happened. Especially the local businesses that just lost, you know, about a month of income. Those are the types of things that need to be rectified. To the best of our ability, we'll give everybody a, a listen as well. Thank you very much for participating and no. leaving. No, no, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Have a good one. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. Okay, so we are joined right now by Kristen Nagel. She is one of the named plaintiffs in the federal court trial, which has just ruled that uh, the Canadian federal government violated the rights of, of Canadians involved with the Freedom Convoy of Truckers by invoking the Emergencies Act. Kristen, thanks so much for joining us. It's good to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you're a nurse, and, and you researched and decided that the, the vaccines are, are not healthy in spite of what you were told by all these health authorities, that they are safe and effective. You formed Canadian Frontline Work Nurses, uh, I, I think maybe I'll, I'll just give you a, a chance to describe briefly, if you can, how and why you eventually got fired from your position. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll just try. Yeah, I'll keep it nice and brief. Um, my my journey actually started in 2018 when I started speaking out about childhood immunizations. Uh, I became very aware of the uh, agenda that was being rolled out and the medical corruption that was at play. So I was speaking out very early on. I saw the harms that were happening with lockdowns, with masks, uh, especially with children. I was a neonatal intensive care nurse. Uh, what was happening to the babies, the families, even in, in my unit, and just uh, things were not making sense. So I actually was one of three nurses that started speaking out very early on in 2020. I, and uh, I organized a freedom rally in my hometown in London, Ontario. And at that point, uh, the media took hold of my name uh, smeared it all over wherever they could uh, in my community, uh, you know, good old CBC. And I was uh, placed under investigation by my College of Nurses and indefinitely suspended. I lost my job when I went to a 
Health and Freedom Rally in January of January uh, 6, 2021 in Washington, D.C. with another Canadian nurse uh, to team up with some fellow American nurses that were speaking out about masks and lockdowns. And that being naive to the political environment that was happening around that time, uh, when we went, we spoke at the Supreme Court and uh, we flew home the next day and we were deemed domestic terrorists that took part in the rioting and storming of the Capitol and had the RCMP show up at our homes to investigate us. And we were then, both of us, immediately terminated from our position. So what we were speaking out and, and kind of pushing back and terminated before the injections were mandated. I see. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in that crowd. And I mean, you know, you, you're basically, uh, you know, peaceful and everything. And, uh, but, um, but yeah, so how could you explain how you connected with the Freedom Convoy and describe some of your activities with the convoy? Yes, absolutely. Well, after we were terminated, uh, Sergio Union and myself, after we were terminated from our jobs from returning from Washington, D.C., we formed Canadian Frontline Nurses mm -hmm. in January 2021. And from there, we were very involved in speaking out, organizing rallies, traveling across Canada, organizing the National Canadian uh, protest uh, in front of the hospitals across the country. And from there, there was a bit of burnout happening uh, from speaking out and you know organizing all these events and everything that was going on and so stepped back a little bit and was ever so pleased and excited and filled with hope and renewed energy when saw the the convoy rolling through the country uh, I started listening to uh, the app every day listening to what was happening as they were traveling across from the west towards on Ontario and I knew it was something that I needed to be a part of so we went on the the first day possible uh, and ended up knowing that I had to be there long term, went home for one day, collected up my family, uh, came back and I ended up staying for the duration of it for four weeks in, in total, uh, um, filming every day, interviewing trekkers, interviewing people that were there, filming what was going on uh, right up until the, the final last moments uh, where I remained and stood on the, the front lines speaking to the officers that were violently attacking us and clearing us out of the city. So I was, I was very involved in present uh, during the, the convoy, even handing out donations to truckers. We had a, a hotel room that we were uh, blessed to be able to offer a little bit of respite for the, the truckers to come in and shower uh, gift cards of uh, gas money were given, uh, you know, toiletries, some food, whatever they needed. It was a little bit of uh, warmth and rest for them. Uh, so that was kind of my part in uh, the convoy. Yeah, uh, you, you you said you had a ho a hotel room that uh, you you got and it was really close to the, uh, the the vicinity where everything was happening. I mean, well, how 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 would you describe all the people? Uh, I guess you know in your immediate circle. I mean, were they where were they politically? What what kind of jobs did they have? Yeah, well, we joked it became the the Freedom Hotel. It was just full of uh, people there for to support the convoy, people there, you know, showing gratitude, thanks, standing up for their own jobs or their own losses, whatever it might have been, uh, there to support the truckers in any way possible. Uh, but it was, it was, you know, full of reporters. I mean, I shouldn't say reporters, uh, independent journalists. 
because mainstream media wouldn't <laughs> go in that close. <laughs> but it was, yeah, we, we nicknamed it the Freedom Hotel. It was quite uh, energetic, positive space until it wasn't in those last two days. A lot of people in Ottawa were complaining about the convoy. They, they say the noise upset them. Uh, some complained about white supremacy, about misogyny. Uh, complaints that, well, they're, they're effectively cut off from the community. And uh, I mean, I, uh, it sounds as if you had a different experience with them or, or, or maybe there was a, an odd uh, incident, but uh, I don't know, how, how would you, how would you explain uh, this, this difference of perspectives, I guess you would say? Uh, lies, <laughs> manipulation. Uh, it was, it was one of the most peaceful loving events I'd ever witnessed and felt in my life. Anybody that was there, we would pass each other smiles, hugs, community, connection. I have never experienced anything like that in my life, and nor do I think I ever will. Where people, you know, we would pass each other and be like, this is the happiest place on earth. Crime was down significantly. The streets had never been cleaner. The homeless have never been better fed, well fed, and the, the support and love of fellow Canadians uh, and anyone that came, regardless of, you know, religion, background, culture, beliefs, whatever it was, it didn't matter. We were all there under the umbrella of freedom. And that's all that mattered. I've never felt more unity and connection in my life. And you walk up a few blocks and it's like Ottawa, you know, is just living, continuing on. Uh, the streets are open. Roadways are open. They always made sure that there was uh, emergency access, vehicles could get through. It was monitored very safely. Uh, yes, the honking was loud, but it did stop throughout the night. Maybe I think it stopped around, you know, 10, 11 p.m. So it could be late, yes, but, uh, and maybe start up again 7 a.m. But you go a few blocks and you wouldn't even know anything's happening. I was just having this conversation with someone yesterday that I met a few people in Ottawa that were walking the streets of Ottawa. One gentleman in particular, his, him and his wife uh, didn't see eye to eye and his wife wanted to come out to support the convoy. And he was scared for her safety because of what he was seeing on the news. So he came out himself to, to see for himself what was really going on. And he was incredibly surprised that what he saw was what, was not what he was being told on the media and felt that yes it was safe place for his wife to come and i think they you know probably shared more of a connection after he realized how much the media was manipulating the story and uh, this happened with uh, a few people that you know were residents of ottawa and wanted to come down for themselves to see what was going on and quickly realized that they were being lied to mm. well just just to maybe there's a lot of sense that, uh, I mean, it seems as if uh, members of the left uh, are very much, you know, opposed to it. And uh, they had all sorts of people trying to uh, come out and, uh, you know, say, say how you know, bringing people to their, uh, you know, the, their community. Um, I, I, I don't know. Is there, is that a segment? I mean, you, you say it's a lot of uh, drivelty, but maybe, you know, it's very right wing as opposed to, you know, a left wing thing. Could that be a factor here? Or is, is it more or less? I mean, you said something about the media that that's maybe creating these sorts of divisions. I mean, how would you describe that? 
Yeah, definitely the media who is paid for by our, you know, uh, government, the, you know, the liberals that are in charge right now. So they're trying to maintain uh, a narrative and a story. They're trying to control the, the narrative and what's getting out there, uh, what people, you know, have access access to. I don't really love calling it, you know, right, right wing, left wing, this, that. Uh, I think there was a global agenda and story that they wanted to stick to. And that is what has been bought and paid for uh, to maintain that narrative using the, the legacy media to keep that going. Well, what, what would you say to the people who uh, would argue, you know, you're, you're right. I mean, you have a right to go without vaccine, but you don't have the right to restrict my activities. And like down in the center of, of, of Ottawa, I mean, you know, were there not things like the lanes being closed to the community? Were there not, you know, the, these aspects upsetting their uh, ability to it? Because they basically, the, your, the, your, the convoy was essentially occupying the city, you see. So, I mean, I... Because of the story that they, they told. Yes, uh, the convoy occupied uh, Wellington Street, but to the businesses that stayed open, they had never been so successful, especially, you know, following um, 2020 and 2021 and, you know, all the lockdowns and everything, their businesses thrived during the convoy. And there was no reason to shut down the mall. There was no reason to shut down anything. It was completely safe. Everyone there just wanted to support any business that, that they could. That was the mayor of Ottawa that told uh, people at the Rideau Center that they needed to shut down and, and close. The, it was absolutely not necessary. People were still going to work. I mean, our our hotel was front and center right in the thick of it, and everyone kept showing up for work every day. Uh, so, and there was other restaurants that did not listen to, you know, having to shut down or close. And like I said, they, they thrived. Uh, people there wanted to support local businesses. People there wanted to, to help uh, no, there was, you know, yes, maybe there was some inconvenience on some of the streets, for sure. Absolutely, there would have been. Uh, were there been other ways to get around? Yes. Uh, were people's lives incredibly affected by the mandates that were put in place? Yes. Um, to lose your livelihood, uh, especially the truckers, to not be able to cross the border, to not be able to do your job, uh, to lose your career, uh, you know, you know, use nursing, for example, 30 year uh, nurses that had been, you know, practicing for over 30 years, losing their career. So I would say that's quite an inconvenience when you're forced out of your livelihood and your profession. Describe what you witnessed during the invocation of the Emergencies Act. Well, what did you see and experience? That and confusion. Uh, people not really knowing what that meant, uh, what to do with it, uh, but also resilience, not backing down, uh, remaining hopeful, remaining peaceful, continuing to find solutions and uh, coming together as community to re remain steadfast. So we, it was Valentine's Day. Um, my, my dad actually sent us all 
a bunch of roses to hand out to the truckers, but they had just been loved on by everyone that day. The truckers received so much love. It was just so beautiful, like oh, in overabundance. A lot of them didn't even know what to do with everything they were receiving. And we thought, you know, here's the Emergency Act has just been invoked. Um, maybe we should remind the, the officers, you know, who we are, that we are just Canadians and that we are peaceful and we're, we're here for, you know, a reason. So we walked around the streets and actually handed out roses and flowers to the officers. Some gentlemen, we said, you know, we've been working long hours. Your wife might appreciate, you know, we're coming home with uh, a rose. Uh, there are some women officers that were uh, just thrilled. They were just pleasantly pleased. I, I still remember this one officer's face when she was, uh, when she received a, a rose from us. And yeah, we just wanted to show them that we are human as well. And so they knew what they were getting into with what was to come. Yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, there was injustices that, or I, I suppose you should say, I mean, did you, the, the, when they closed in on you, I mean, what was the, uh, the attitude of, of everyone? Was they uh, hopeful or like, were they prepared for um, any kind of abuses? So I believe the Emergency Measures Act was invoked on the Wednesday. I think it was Valentine's Day, the 14th, I want to say. It was invoked on and the 14th, but then there was a few, a little bit of time before they actually came down on you. No, absolutely. That's why I was saying. So I believe it was invoked on the Wednesday. The Thursday, the next day, was the end of the Jericho March. So for seven days, we had been marching around the, the capital, just right out of a you know, biblical story of the Jericho, the walls of Jericho. And Thursday just so happened to be the last day. So march seven times around the Capitol building. And in that last lap, um, the horns were blown. And so all the truckers were there, uh, the, you know, the horns were going. And it was one of the most powerful moments of the entire convoy. You just felt um, God's hand all over that. Like the walls came down, the walls, um, just like in um, uh, the biblical story of Jericho, uh, something happened. There, there was a, a shift for sure that happened. And everyone, whether you have faith or not, everyone felt that energy of that day. And I find it fascinating that that happened on the Thursday uh, because we were teary this hope, this love, this victory, it was so intense that we were feeling. And then we kept thinking, okay, well, they haven't done anything yet. It's Wednesday. Okay, now Thursday happened. Still nothing's happened. Okay, now it's Friday. There's no way they're going to do anything Friday because this is when the most people show up. We made it to the weekend. We're going to be okay because now everyone's going to be here. And uh, sadly, that was not the case. So woke up uh, Friday morning after this huge energy from the Jericho March and quickly met by police down at the Rideau Center. And we all tried to, you know, thinking we were going to hold the line. At first, we all sat down together um, singing, you know, uh, Oh Canada, um, you know, praying, talking to the officers and speaking to them. And they had the, the loud machine sound machines and all these things and all the equipment they look like military personnel with their rifles i had just never seen anything like that before being a naive little canadian uh and i think at first we thought we could hold the line and the one officer was quite manipulative telling us that 
you know, we, don't worry. This isn't about you. This is about just trucks. We just have to get the trucks to move. You guys can come back and do what you're here to do. And I think realizing the pressure and there wasn't enough of us, we stepped back a lot, a uh, step back a little bit past this one yellow truck. And I will never forget this moment. It's like ingrained in my memory because as we stepped back, he, he yelled back at us. He said, don't you leave me. This is what the trucker yelled at us. And we stepped back just enough for the police to be able to get up into his truck and smash his windows and rip him out of that truck. And I just remember feeling so devastated in that moment, thinking these truckers have just sacrificed so much for us. Um, everything they've do done, like stood their ground, have stayed there and they're still here. And I just felt like we completely let them down in that moment. Uh, but then when we did step back, and we actually took a glance uh, and looked around everywhere around us and we realized how surrounded and outnumbered we were. And at that moment, I knew there was no line to hold. We we're only going to delay, delay the inevitable from what was going to happen. I'm going to play um, uh, uh, it's a piece of your video. You recorded it. It uh, was an incident where you were actually approaching a team of CBC uh, working on, uh, you know, doing their own report on the the, the uh, Freedom Convoy. I'm going to just play it for you, a portion from you now. Nagel, I'm a nurse, and um, because of the hit pieces, you guys have totally, like, ruined my career. And and just, and just I've been fired um, because of it. People have doxxed my address. People have given me death threats um, because of the lies that you guys spread and, and the way that you twist the truth. And I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and kids have never been happier than what has been created here. Why don't you show that truth? Do you see the smiles in the kids? Do you know what has been taken away from them these last two years? Do you know six-year-olds have told me they wanted to cut themselves and kill themselves? Kids want to die because of the last two years. Why aren't you showing that? And now you're talking about kids' welfare safety? Now you think kids should be taken from their parents out of these trucks? You're working with welfare services? But you're repeating it. You're repeating it. And people are believing it. Why do you think there's people out here counter-protesting? Why do you think Winnipeg, someone drove down four protesters purposely and put them in critical care? Why do you think there's actually violence and hate happening? Do you know how divisive this is? Is this actually Canada? Do you know what you're reporting and what you're doing to the people out there? How does that make you feel? You're a young guy. Okay, so yeah, you mentioned uh, you know kids cutting themselves, Winnipeggers running down, uh, protesters putting them in critical care. I mean, you seem to think the CBC and I guess mainstream media generally played a role in this situation. I mean, could you just describe you know how the mainstream media worsened the situation over there? Yeah, absolutely. I just got emotional again <laughs> listening to that. It's been a, been a while. Um, yeah, like um, the first article they ever put out about me was uh, November of 2020. LHSC nurse Kristen Nagel puts premature babies in in danger. And, you know, I was made out to be this uh, monster, this reckless person who is harming, you know, these vulnerable babies. And so it uh, destroyed my, my character in a lot of uh, the circles of my community uh, that... You know, I, I have a strong community still at home, but there's there's certain aspects that, you know, that I won't be able to recover from that. And they have done this to everyone. Every dissenting voice, they have found a way to de discredit, to dehumanize, to vilify. Um, they have 
found a way to create hate in people's hearts um, to the point where even my own family has been divided. Many families, um, many families have been divided, even, you know, relationships, um, divorces happening, um, kids being ripped away from their parents. Like it has been criminal what has happened and uh, it's all been because of uh, the media maintaining a narrative that they wanted to continue uh, in promoting lies. They dehumanize people. And when you dehumanize people, you can turn them into villains. And it's amazing the hypnosis that can happen and how people's hearts can darken. And I, I felt it myself and I've seen it in others. I've seen others affected by it. And there's a lot that because of the damage that has been done over the last several years, some will not recover from it. Kristen Nagel, I want to thank you very much for your time. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been an honor. The OPC Report Part 1 was released exactly one year ago as of the date of this first broadcast, it contained, and it contained the following. Throughout most of February 20, 2022, the thousands of people who live and work in downtown Ottawa endured several weeks of widespread human rights abuse, amidst a climate of threats, fear, sexual harassment, and intimidation marked by racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, homophobia, transphobia, and other expressions of hate and intolerance. The impact was inevitably greatest on the most vulnerable individuals and communities. The report it flies in the face of numerous people whose report directly contradicts these findings. As was mentioned, the last guest spoke about people coming to the summit with pent-up feelings based on what was on TV and left with attitudes totally changed about the event and about media. I never attended the event, but several people I know who attended, including left-wing people and academics, who said the event was not racist or hateful or anything like that, quite the reverse. There was a woman, her name was Rupa Subramania. She's an Indo-Canadian reporter who has written several articles and was interviewed at the Public Order Emergency Coalition Commission in late 2022. Uh, here's a quote of what she said. I wanted to go there and make up my own mind. The reality of these protesters, the truckers starting from day one, is very different from the received narrative that was already in place propaganda, because that is really what it amounted to. These people were a cross-section of Canadians. They were mostly working class. I encountered people of color. I saw new immigrants. I saw children. I saw women. I saw the old, the young, Franco-Canadians, Anglo-Canadians, a lot of camaraderie. I spent three weeks at the protest every day, several times a day. I didn't encounter a single racist, white supremacist, or even a misogynist. These were some of the warmest, friendliest people I've ever met in my life after two decades here in Canada. It was quite unusual that my perspective, as a person of color who went into the protests, was so different from the mainstream coverage. There was this total disconnect between what was being said and what I personally experienced. But where were the police when all this violence was taking place? Ray McGuinness is a Vancouver-based author. He attended the PEOC in November and heard from a dozen of the witnesses. Superintendent Patrick Morris, recognized as the foremost authority in the province of Ontario regarding intelligence, 
with the OOPP, and he said of the protest, the lack of violent crime was shocking. If there was an actual threat, then there would have been an investigation. And if it was an actual threat, I assume the Ottawa Police Service would have laid a charge for uttering threats. And then he said, hard to lay a charge or even to ascertain if it's an actual threat if you can't identify the individual. Uh, Ray McGinnis called Tom Morazzo, one of the Freedom Convoy leaders who spoke at the PEOC. He wrote, Morazzo told me he was continually in contact with OPS police liaison teams during the protests in Ottawa. He told me the PLTs would alert him if there was anyone blocking an emergency lane. Protest leaders, police, and City of Ottawa officials all agreed that these needed to be cleared. Yet on one occasion, it turned out an emergency lane in downtown Ottawa was being blocked by City of Ottawa's own equipment vehicles. Morazzo confirmed that any protesters intimidating or harassing Ottawa citizens would be counterproductive to the aims of the protest, but the PLTs never bought brought to any protest leader's attention even one instance of a protester intimidating or harassing local residents. This, the disconnect between the rhetoric of protesters being violent and what was happening on the ground was problematic. So, with all this out in the open, I don't know how to rectify this uh, situation. One answer is that one side or the other is lying. But there's another possibility. Media propaganda. Imagine if a Black Lives Matter protest was staging a protest in a city. Imagine that the media was creating the impression that they were dangerous. Does it not make sense that a certain portion of the public was being propagandized against them and approaching the situation with prejudice? But my biggest concern is is with the Emergencies Act. It was not needed to clear up Windsor or Coots So was it truly necessary for Prime Minister Trudeau to go nuclear to clear up the protest? Or did he have an itchy trigger finger? That's the show for this week. I encourage listeners to to look up both the OPC report at www.opc-cpo.ca or you could read Tom Morazzo's book, The People's Emergency Act, Freedom Convoy 2022, and make up your own mind. That's our show for this week. Next week, we'll be talking about artificial water fluoridation and a landmark case in the United States addressing the dangers to human health. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, a program funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe, Ininu, Ojikri, Dene, and Dakota, the birthplace of the Métis Nation and the heart of the Métis Nation homeland. The show airs on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been your host, Michael Welch. Thanks once again for joining us.